Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. This is episode 110, and I am your host, Trevor Williams. And you may or may not know this. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you probably do. Um, but I am lactose intolerant. And when I found that out, I was pretty sad because I like milk. I love ice cream. I love all things dairy. But milk clearly does not like me, or rather the lactose doesn't like me. And so a friend of mine told me about Fair Life. I tried it, it was delicious, and guess what? It has no lactose, so I was set. And I've been hooked ever since. I'm a huge advocate of Fair Life. I think what they're doing is great. And maybe you also like milk. I think it's one of the highest drank commodities here in the country. Um, maybe you're wondering why Fair Life milk is different, or even how animal agriculture works. Like, how do dairy farms check on their cows, check on their calves? How um, do they check on their health? How important is their cow health? Hint, it's extremely important. And um, our guest today is an expert when it comes to cow health. Her name is Dr. Marissa Hake. And if you're on Instagram or even Facebook, you might follow her. Um, she goes by Calf Vet um, on Instagram and Facebook. And she is an expert when it comes to all things cows. She is a former veterinarian. She worked specifically in the veal industry for a while, I think for like five or maybe 10 years or something like that. And she has a wealth of information on how important cow and calf health is um, in the dairy industry, how that works, what her life was like as a veterinarian. And now she actually works with Fairlife. And I did not know that. I did not do enough research before her interview. Uh, it was a cool surprise though. And so we're also going to chat about her work with um, Fairlife and how she is now the, I believe, the animal um, animal welfare advocate and director of like sustainability with Fairlife. I, I forget the exact terminology for her, her job, but she's got a great gig at Fairlife and she's also a speaker um, for agriculture and advocate. She does a great job 
on Facebook and Instagram, highlighting the importance of agriculture, her job, women in agriculture. So I highly encourage you to go check out her Instagram and her Facebook and um, even her website. She has a lot of great content, and I was so excited to chat with her. Um, Our episode was supposed to go out last week, but um, Allie and I were on a quick vacation to Michigan with some friends. And also, Marissa and her husband, Travis, had a baby. So congratulations to them. I think it's their second baby. So she is going through that whole process of, you know, after you you deliver the baby. So Marissa, Travis, again, congratulations, you two. Um, And again, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. This was so fun to chat with Marissa about all things milk. And, you know, it's June, and because we're going to talk about fair life, this stuff always comes up. But you might remember a few years ago, there was a huge animal um, rights attack on a fair life farm. And so we're going to dive into that and how um, really how the owners of that responded really quickly, how they got ahead of the curb, and how they were able to combat all the misinformation and really just slander that was coming out against the whole dairy industry when that happened. Um, Unfortunately, that happens all the time in animal agriculture. You have a lot of people, and even this month, I've had people ask me, like, hey, what do you think about this whole thing? And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that you don't really think about. Um, And really, I'm talking about the animal rights groups and how they're the ones um, hurting the livestock and just really hurting the industry. Uh, So we'll talk about that too. That's kind of a heavy topic, but it was very interesting to get her take on that, and I'm glad that we talked about it. Um, So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Again, this is episode 110 with Dr. Marissa Hake, a.k.a. The Veal Vet. I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. Yeah, so I am. I'm super excited to chat with you. I love your content. Um, Your Instagram is really cool, all the stuff you put out there. Um, I love the whole cow, the calf vet thing you're doing, which is really cool. Like your whole persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, well, it's not a persona, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, true. You know, that's really where I kind of uh, cut my teeth as a, as a new grad, as a veterinarian. Um, I went right out and um, started working for a calf company. And that's what I've been doing for like the last five years, since 15 to um, 2020. Um, and so yeah, that's really where I got started as a veterinarian was strictly in calf care. Nice. Okay. So what's your background like? Like, did you come from an ag background or what kind of made you go to the whole veterinarian thing? Yeah. Uh, So I grew up in a farming town. Um, I grew up on kind of a retired dairy farm and, and, you know, we cash crops, but wasn't really into the whole ag thing. You know, I grew up with horses and stuff like that, but it really wasn't until um, I got into college and undergrad and started my animal science degree that I really fell in love with uh, production animal ag. And so that's, that's where I really started to dive in and was like, okay, this is, I like this a lot more than horses. And, (laughs) um, you know, got really passionate about (laughs) Um, animal livestock. And also, um, I didn't know it then, but that's kind of where I got my um, desire to communicate about animal ag and and what's happening on our farms and and how our food is raised um, was, you know, in college is where that kind of that fire was lit. Mm, That's awesome. Yeah. So I went to UF and I had only one animal science class, but it was the first class I'd ever had. And I thought it was so cool because like we got to like our third day, 
we got to see beef cows get processed and that was eye opening. And then like the next week it was hogs and then chickens and I'd never been around animal ag. And then I, I learned from this guy who had, you know, your typical animal science professor, um, tight wranglers, cowboy hat, Stetson shirt, and the best handlebar mustache I've ever seen. <laughs> and he was, I forget his name, but he was like the coolest professor ever. And I was like, all right, I'm learning. I have a really cool character as a professor. And so it's fun because you can see, like, I feel like the people in animal ag are like really passionate and they like really know their stuff. Yeah. Well, and everyone wants to be a cowboy, right? Like cowboys will always be yeah. cool. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. And, you know, I think everyone has that desire. You know, you see it with um, homesteader groups or backyard chickens or things mm. like that. Like everyone has this desire to be around animals and raise animals and, and, or, and, or, you know, their own, their own food sources and crops and things like that. And I think that's kind of innately human that we, you know, we enjoy that and we um, have a passion for that. Again, and not all of us, you know, get to have that connection and understanding. And I think it's, I, I you know, I see a lot of these um, groups starting, whether it's a small homestead or, you know, one cow, five chickens kind of thing. And those people really learn to discover kind of uh, that whole circle of life thing. And, and, you know, the whole, how much work it goes into raising animals and how humbling they are and, you know, how, you know, life and death is every single day. And so it's just interesting when people really start diving down into uh, raising their own, their own food that they, that, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve for sure. Oh yeah. It's more than just like getting cows and, and, or, or chickens or just having them outside. And that's it. I mean, you've got so much like nutrition, health, you've got to watch out for predators. There's like so much more that goes into it than you might think. Like we, we want to get cows eventually. I mean, right now we live in the city, so we don't really have room, but eventually that's the goal. But I know there's like a whole, it's like a whole different ball game. Like there's so much like research and stuff you've got to do before you can even think about getting livestock. Yeah. And it, you know, that's like the most frustrating thing is, as, as a livestock raiser and, and I work with producers, I work with dairymen, um, it's, you know, I get a firsthand look at how much uh, work and effort and care goes into mm. raising animals for our food supply. And, you know, in most days they're, they're, uh, they're bashed by media and they're, and they're bashed online and, you know, and it's the exact opposite of what's actually happening on the farm. So it can be a bit frustrating because, uh, you know, you, you have had a glimpse of just how much work and effort and care goes into, uh, you know, raising a, an animal that's going to be safe to enter the food supply. Oh, yeah. So and, and coming from a, a vet's perspective, I mean, we're always told that like a happy animal is going to be is going to produce like they're going to be they're going to be like market weight and all that stuff. So what's your perspective on it? I mean, you're obviously trying to have like a super do or you're trying to help the the farmers and ranchers have like the healthiest, the healthiest livestock imaginable. So what's that from your perspective? Absolutely. So, you know, when I'm thinking about the health of an animal, it's pretty holistic. So we know that animals that aren't stressed are healthier, they gain more weight, they produce more milk. Um, so they're more efficient. So from a business standpoint, it makes sense to have healthy um, you know, not stressed animals. And so, uh, you know, we try to encompass mm -hmm. both of that in veterinary medicine. So whether we're, we're looking at obviously nutrition and health and, uh, uh well-being, um, and, but then on the, on the flip side, you know, I also focus on say, um, worker training and animal handling and transport as well, because all of those things go into the care and health of the animal as well. 
That's awesome. Yeah, that that term husbandry, which I was taught in college, is like really key. And I didn't know this, but apparently, um, navy the the navy uses like ship husbandry to like take care of ships and stuff. And they got that from like animal agriculture, where it's like livestock husbandry, where you're like taking care of it, you're making sure it's okay and stuff like that. I was like, huh, that's kind of cool. Fun fact of the day. That was one of the handlebar mustache facts that we got every day <laughs> I didn't or something know that. like that. Yeah, that's good to there know. you go. Yeah, so uh, before I forget about it, I saw like this viral video, I think like a year ago or something. I I, I don't know if it was Dairy Carrie or some other um, dairy lady on Facebook, but she gave uh, a calf a big old liter of Heineken. And apparently, does it help like with digestion? <laughs> yeah, it can. There's a lot of those old uh, timey wives tale things. Um, I work with a mm. lot of Amish calf raisers and there's always something, you know, but really goes down into <laughs> making, <laughs> getting energy into them. Right. So, um, the calories in that beer is what's helping that calf, uh, just get a, you know, a little bit of a sugar rush, get it back on its feet and get it nursing. And so, yeah, there's a lot of those, whether it's vinegar or eggs or something like that. It's just, it's kind of all over the board. <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. That's awesome. I, I, I honestly can't tell you how many people have sent me videos of like calves drinking milk and they're, you know, sticking their whole head in the trough of milk and just like blowing out milk out their nose. And it's so cute. Like, are they just playing around? Or are they super thirsty? I mean, probably with calves, they're just like puppies and they're, they're just trying to have fun and going crazy. Yeah. And from the veterinary side, I'll be honest, when I see those videos, I totally cringe um because calves that are likely to do that they're actually they're actually likely more likely to aspirate that milk and get it into their lungs and then they get pneumonia and you know they can get really sick so i actually hate calves that do that whole like dive in the bucket blow it out thing um but yeah it does make good for good social media videos (laughs) (laughs) dang i didn't know that i feel like most things that go viral like eating the tide pods for example are like always the worst. So I didn't know that, that that would impact the the calves health, I guess, the more you know. Yeah, yeah. Some of those are like, oh, yeah, those make me cringe a little bit, but it is cute. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So, so you work with like a lot of veal. So can you tell us like how veal works and how that whole industry is? Yeah, so I actually don't work in veal anymore, um, but I'd be glad to tell you about it. Um, oh, so that was shoot. Kind of my okay. position. yeah, <laughs> the last five years. Um, and so, so veal is, is very closely tied to the dairy industry and obviously I work in the dairy industry. And so, um, you know, that's where I started my career was working with veal calves. Um, and again, that's another area that I really got passionate about sharing about agriculture because it is such a small industry. It's such an industry with a, a black eye and kind of a connotation that comes with it. Um, that I really felt compelled to Mm -hmm. share. Um, And especially even within the dairy industry, you know, where, where these calves are coming from, you know, those dairies didn't even understand the industry. And so that's kind of where I started at. Um, And so, you know, the biggest misconception about the veal industry is that it's, you know, these, these tiny baby calves and, you know, that they're, they're, they're locked up in dark barns and they have this terrible life. And that's really, really far from the truth. And, it, and you know, it's really changed since the, the 70s and 80s. So 
Um, you know, these calves are all, there's, there's no calves in the United States that are tethered or anything like that anymore. It's actually illegal. Um, so if you see those images come up, say from a, an activist page or something like that, you know, they're pulling old images from, you know, the seventies and eighties. Um, and so all of our, you know, all of the veal calves are, are raised in, you know, individual pens for kind of the first beginning of their life, just like a dairy calf. And then they go into group house pens, just like, um, you know, heifers or, or beef cattle or anything like that. And so, um, so they're raised up to about six, 550 pounds, 600 pounds. Um, they're about six months old when they go in to get processed. Um, and so they're quite a bit older and quite a bit bigger than what most people think. And so, um, the reason that veal is, is different than say a beef animal is just based on what they're fed. And so they're fed milk for their entire life along with grain and, and um, roughage as well. And so the color of the meat's a little bit different, the taste of the meat's a little bit different. Um, and so that kind of what's what differentiates veal versus say a beef cow or a beef steer, sorry. Um, and so that's kind of the background that, you have any, I don't know, let me see if I missed anything. I'm sure I missed something. Um, a couple different things about veal calves. They're never castrated, um, they're never dehorned. Um, it's illegal to use any kind of hormone implants in veal calves. So um, we don't use those as well. Mm. Um, so it's kind of just the, the elevator speech of veal, I guess. <laughs> I like it. So, I mean, and, and so basically they're all males and are, are they all males from dairy operations where like they're obviously male cows can't produce milk. So you've got to figure out something to do with them. So they just go to veal. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good outlet for the, those animals. Um, obviously as the mm. dairy industry moves towards say, um, more sex semen, so they're just making heifers, um, so female replacements, and then, um, you know, there's less, there's less bull calves. So, um, to feed that market, but yeah, that's, that's where they came from. It gives them a purpose. It gives, you know, a, a high quality protein source that we can use. Um, I never use the term byproduct of the dairy industry. Uh, that's never really sat well for me. Um, you know, these, these animals have value and, and they can, you know, provide a, a nutrition source for us and, and can be useful. So, um, I consider them, you know, their own, their own type of market. I like that. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they might come from dairy, but they're not a dairy byproduct because they're making their own little industry like veal. And I feel like veal is almost on plane with like a Wagyu. Like they have just such this um, I don't know, this prestigiousness about them. Like you always hear really good things about veal, that it's really tender, that it tastes really good. I don't know if I've ever had veal, but obviously got to try it one day. Yeah. You know, we, we consider what we consider veal is, um, we always say it's, I don't know if it's PC, but we always said it was kind of ethnic or affluent. So you'll see, uh, veal mm -hmm. traditionally in, you know, Italian, um, uh, restaurants and things like that. Um, and then, you know, very, very high end restaurants, chefs really like to work with it because it, it does have a pretty mild flavor. And so then they can kind of put their own twist on it with their flavorings and stuff like that. And so hmm. you'll usually see it at like kind of high end steakhouses or, um, you know, more ethnic restaurants. That makes sense. Yeah. The more you, the more you talk about it, I have seen a lot of veal at kind of Italian restaurants and really nowhere else. Um, that's pretty cool. Might have to try some one day. Um, we so we've had on a, like a bunch of show or a bunch of companies like Crow Cow or um, Honest Bison. Well, Honest Bison not, but I'm um, like Crow Cow. I think they had some veal and stuff like they really specialize in like those niche markets for for something like a Wagyu or a veal or something like that. So I feel like veal has like a really good following. Um, and kind of going back with what you're talking about with like the activist, I feel like you're doing two things. 
you're like you said earlier, you're like educating producers how to do it. But you're also kind of educating people out there that might have, I don't know, the wrong viewpoint about veal and also like fighting activists, which I know is a whole other battle. So how do you kind of juggle both of those things where you're educating people on both sides of the spectrum, like people that work in the the industry and people that work outside of it? You know, I've always taken the approach of just being honest and showing the behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. Um, And I think that's the best that we can do. Um, You know, so when I worked in Veal is I had no problem showing what I did a day to day. I had no problem pulling up to a barn and walking in live and saying, hey, this is exactly what's happening here. This is exactly how these animals are being raised. Here's the reason why. Let's answer questions. What do you want to know? Um, and I just, I've always felt that way. I do behind the scenes on our own farm, kind of share the good and bad, um, the struggles, because they're, you know, that's real life. And I think people can relate to that. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of the approach I've taken is type kind of the, the barn doors are open, ask away, come see what you want to see. Um, and just really leaning on that transparency piece because, um, you know, at the end of the day, consumers aren't stupid, right? And they understand when people are being authentic and when they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, you know, the best that we can offer for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like social media is f- um, filled with so many like filters. But that's something I really like about like your Instagram is that you show what's going on. Like you, th- there are so many videos of you like pulling calves where they're like giving birth. And I, I've, I've never seen that in person, but it's like so educational. Like you get to see what's going on. Or I mean, it's so fun. Like, I mean, it seems like you really enjoy it, which I think is why a lot of people um, like following other like experts on social media. I mean, it, you can tell by all of your posts that you're like super passionate about what you do. Yeah. And you know, the activist angle, I definitely, you know, I get it. And um, I've learned that they just try to kind of hijack your platforms um, to, you know, to Mm -hmm. spend, you know, really share their agenda. And so for me, Mm -hmm. I really don't engage with them anymore. That's not the, the demographic that I'm trying to reach. I'm trying to reach that mom at the grocery store who really just wants to make the best decisions for her children and her family. Right. And so those are the people mm-hmm. that I'm really trying to reach that what we consider, we call the movable middle, which gets thrown around a lot. You know, those people that can, can be influenced and who really do want information. And so for me, when it comes to activists, I block, delete and move on. I do not engage. Um, <laughs> I do, I, it's just a waste of my time and their time because no one's going to move on the issue. I've learned that the people who have real concerns about how, you know, food is raised or things that are happening on our farms a lot of times they will private message you and say, Hey, I have bad feelings about this. Can you tell me more? I don't feel good about, you know, X, Y, Z. And those are the people that are really important to touch on because they're looking for information and they're not doing it in a way that's trying to, you know, bash someone else. And so um, I take those types of messages very, very seriously and, and, you know, and, and try to answer those as best as possible. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, good on them for like messaging you and not trying to be like super drama about it. And they're like being honest and you also like being upfront and honest with them. And I feel like I watch Derek Josie's posts a lot because he deals with activists too. And I feel like most activists aren't going for a debate. They're just trying to like slander the farmers and ranchers out there. I mean, they're not trying to see it from your perspective. They're just trying to seem like they're the holier person that they are, that their (laughs) viewpoints are the best. And we all should just like 
bow down to the activists, I guess. And this, that is my biggest argument is, you know, as a producer, as a veterinarian, as someone who works every single day in agriculture is there are things that we need to work on. There are things that we need to change. And we recognize that. And us in the industry are working towards that, right? Like every day we're working towards improved animal welfare. Mm. Every day we're working towards, you know, lowering our environmental impact. Like we are passionate about making those changes and doing what's best for our animals and for the environment and for the people that we work with. And for activists, my argument to them is you're not doing anything. You're not out here trying to change anything. You're just saying cancel culture. You know, I don't, we don't want any of it. And it's just like, that's not realistic. And I'm sorry, but you don't get a seat at the table if you're not willing to bring anything to the table to help. And so I'm very much like, <laughs> I don't have time for this. And if you want to help get, you know, put on your bibs <laughs> and get here because, uh, you know, if not, I'm not going to value your opinion. Hey, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> like you are obviously, you're going to know more about vet health and animal health than any activist will. And, but they're the ones that are going to quote unquote, tell you how to do your job. And yeah, like you said, like you, you're not at the table cause you're not doing anything except just getting mad and cancel culture, which I hate. I hate cancel <laughs> <Yeah>. culture. It's <laughs> so annoying, but I, I feel like the ag industry is kind of like the original recipients of cancel culture. Cause these activists have been around for centuries. I mean, PETA, everybody, but I mean, eh, maybe we'll cancel cancel culture one day. I hope. You know, I think the one thing that people have to remember is uh, follow the money, right? <laughs> like, follow mm -hmm. the money. Mm -hmm. These organizations make a ton of money by making noise and, and pulling at your heartstrings and playing on emotion and, and getting, you know, uh, you know, news and all the news wants is kind of the, the villain and the victim thing. And so it's really easy to paint agriculture into that villain uh, role. Um, and so it's just, I just wish some people could really take a lens back, you know, take a step back, put some lens on it and just, you know, okay, what's actually happening here? <laughs> but, you know, that's our culture. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's like, wait, this is kind of too convenient. There's a lot of money here. What's going on? Uh, so, so moving on to happier subjects, uh, yeah. I've seen that you're obsessed with a certain cow, the British white. Is that right? <laughs> yes. The British white, yes. <laughs> so, so where did that whole obsession come from? Uh, so it's so funny today. So I was gonna, I was gonna post about it because um, we had a calf come through one of our farms uh, four years ago today because it came up on my Snapchat uh, memories, and I was like, oh, this was today. And um, so one of our dairy farms that we got calves from must have been crossing with British white for you know beef crosses, and one came through our farm mm -hmm. and. I remember walking, you know, I'm walking down doing health checks, all these calves, you know, there's probably 150 calves in this room. And I, I came across this calf and I was like, oh, oh my God, wh what are you? Like, you're the most gorgeous, gorgeous calf I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. And so I had to know more. Let's see if I can show you the picture. Um, had to know more, had to figure out the breed. And Trav and I, we wanted um, to get into beef cattle for a really long time. So I don't know if you can see this, but this was the original calf. So I know. <laughs> oh, he's and, so cute with that little black nose and those ears. Yeah. And like perfect spot, eyebrow spots, just gorgeous. So what we'd, we'd already wanted to get <laughs> beef mama cows at some point. And um, we looked into this breed. I mean, not only are they gorgeous, um, but they're, you know, a really docile breed. They're pretty easygoing. Um, and so we just kind of knew that was going to be the breed for us when we got into it. And so um, when we first started purchasing, you know, our first 
first replacement cows and things like that and heifers, uh, we went with the, the British white breed. That's awesome. So do they, what's their, what's their marbling? Like, are, are they going to be kind of like a black Angus or anything like that? Um, you know, they, we don't have any really good data for the breed cause it's really small. Um, but yes, they do really, really well. They grade really well. Um, kind of their claim to fame is that they're do they convert really well as a grass fed beef herd. Um, and so okay. we're going to have our first, uh, group of steers here this summer ready to go in. So we'll do some yield and grade data with them as well. Um, and so we're pretty excited about that, but, um, you know, in our steer pen, they're doing, they're keeping up with our Angus cows, um, our Angus crosses again, that breed is, that breed's so well established and kind of, uh, above and beyond, you know, most breeds, but, um, if you know me and my husband, you know, we kind of go against the grain on a little bit of, you know, everything doesn't have to have a black <laughs> hide to be good in my opinion. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make British whites great again. So that's my campaign. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. Whenever you share those pictures, they are the cutest, cutest pictures. And I show my wife all the time and she's obsessed with them. She likes those. And what are the the shorter cows that are like really hairy? Like they look kind of like yaks, but they're not yaks. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, those are Highlands. Highlands, yes, she loves those. Like a baby Highland is the cutest calf ever. Like they're so yeah. cute. You can't get any cuter. We have two. I think we have two cows that we bred. We had a bull here for a while. His name was Harry Larry, um, and he was a Highland bull. But we just <laughs> sold him, so I got a couple more calves coming next year out of him, and we'll see what they look like. So. That's awesome. Harry Larry. That's a good name for a cow. So <laughs> what's your, what's your, what's your current, um, what's your current job? You said you used to work in veal. What's your current day-to-day -day life as a vet now? Yeah. So in early 2020, yeah. Um, before the world shut down, just before the world shut down, um, I took a position mm -hmm. with um, Fairlife. I don't know if you've heard of Fairlife, like kind of the milk company, ultra filtered milk. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. So I work for them as their, their director of animal welfare and sustainable farming. And so I get to kind of have a cool role where I get to be boots on the ground with our supplying dairy farms and, and work through our welfare programs and things like that. Um, and then kind of I get to have my boots with a brand and a company. Um, and so I get to do work with kind of our communications team and our sustainability team and things like that. Um, you know, working from that side of the angle towards the farm. Um, and so it's kind of a unique role. It's really exciting. Um, you know, I like to, again, like I talked about earlier with, with training and, and reinforcing culture on farms and things like that. And so that's kind of what my new role allows me to do. That's awesome. Yeah, I love Fairlife. I mean, I'm slightly lactose, lactose intolerant. So Fairlife is a great milk. I never have any problems with it. Um, and, and, um, I think dairy fitness girl, Emily Shaw, she got me on it. Um, the protein milk from fair life, uh -huh. the strawberry and the mm -hmm. chocolate is literally the best tasting milk I've ever had. <laughs> I know. I don't know what we put in our chocolate milk, but it is so amazing. <laughs> um, and you know, it's just, it's really cool to work for a company that's kind of leading innovation in the dairy sector and, you know, really looking at what, um, consumers want. Right. And, and moving beyond just that gallon jug of milk and, and putting some innovation in the dairy industry. And so, um, you know, it's really exciting to, to work with a company, these products coming out, um, again, because all of our products are uh, lower in sugar, lactose free and, and higher in protein. And so, 
um, a lot of times that's what a consumer is really looking for. Oh, yeah. And I feel like a lot of people have, I mean, lately, I've seen like a huge boom in like people that are buying Fairlife. I mean, I feel like anytime we go to Publix or any other grocery store, like people are like, I always see somebody getting a bottle of Fairlife. And I mean, there's what, like three different types of just like just regular whole milk, then you got chocolate, you got skim milk. I mean, there's a lot of products you guys are making. Yeah, so we have our ultra filtered milk. Um, and, the, you know, the technology behind that is just, uh, it's really cool. If you want to hear the background on it is um, one of the founders of the company, he owned a dairy farm and they had an issue with a well at their farm. It collapsed in and they couldn't get really good water for their cows. Um, and so they mm. had to put in this filtration system for their water. And one day they're, you know, switching out the filters for the, that water system and they got the wrong filters from the company. And they're like, oh, shoot, that was for something else. We'll send you the right filters. And it got them thinking, like, if we can filter out the good and bad stuff in this water, why couldn't we do that for our milk? And so that's exactly what they did is they, they took these different filters that they learned and, you know, they filter out the lactose and things like that that people have issues with and make this fantastic product. And so um, that's kind of the background on the science behind it, which I just think is such a fascinating story. And just goes to show you uh, the innovation that can happen exactly at the farm level. Um, and so again, yeah, we have, you know, whole uh, fat-free 2% um, and then chocolate on our kind of our, our traditional 52 ounce fair life milk. Um, and then we have our core power product, which is our like higher in protein um, athletic kind of drink, which is really, really good. Um, the flavors are excellent. I will put it up against any of the other <laughs> protein drinks because I hate protein drinks. I oh, think they're yeah. all gross. <laughs> oh, and I actually like ours. And I, the banana is my favorite, which is surprising, but it's really, really good if you can try the core power. Um, and then we have um, other flavored milk drinks, which we call our, our yups. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, this isn't like my, uh, <laughs> let me think of all of our products. We have ice cream. So higher protein ice cream out, which is really, really good. I recommend the butter pecan or the nice. um, fudge brownie. Yeah, those are my two favorites. Um, and then we also have a new milk that's on the market. If you see it out there, it's called Good Mood. Um, and that is actually just a lactose-free milk that isn't higher in protein. So there's some people that just want a normal milk um, that's lactose-free. And if you've had, I'm guessing you've had lactose-free milk. It's super gross, right? It's super sweet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the way that we process it, so th those type of milks, they kind of break up the lactose. And so the lactose is actually left in there as sugars. So that those lactose free milks are super sweet and kind of gross tasting. Ours isn't. It tastes just like milk, has the same protein profile and everything like that, but there's no lactose in it. So, um, you know, if someone didn't want that higher protein, we now have good mood as an offering as well. Oh, there's one more. We have that's nutrition awesome. yeah, plan. Yeah, I feel like. The oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry. We have one more. It's called nutrition plan, and that's there kind of our meal replacement shakes. Um, and they're super good. They're like 150 calories. I can't remember. They're high protein, like 10, 20. I don't know. They're higher in protein. They're really good. Um, you can get them at like usually like a Costco or a Sam's Club has them right now. Um, I think Amazon has mm. them too, and those are really yummy as well. That's, yeah, I think I bought those one time thinking that, that they were the core ones and they were still really good. And I, they were at Sam's though. It was like 18 for like 10 bucks. And I was like, this is like literally a steal. Like this is a good cup. So I, I love going to <laughs> Sam's. Sam's is the best. Stacking them up. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Get like five or six sacks. But yeah, I mean, like you were saying, I've had other lactose-free milk and it's not nearly as good as Fairlife. I mean, Fairlife, it tastes 
so close to like regular whole milk. I mean, it's so very close. It doesn't taste like it's like super sweet, super weird. Like it's so close to regular milk. Yeah. And, you know, that's really uh, if you go to our office and, you know, everyone's really it feels like a young company still. And so um, but our number one thing is it has to taste good. Right. So we all have to drink it in the office. We all have mm-hmm. to like it. And so that's really a driving factor um, for our products, for sure. Hey, well, there you go. I mean, yeah, if consumers are, are going to like it, you guys have got to like it. I like that. Right. And <laughs> speaking of another good thing about Fairlife, I know kind of going back to the whole activist thing. I know years ago, there was this whole ordeal with like some activists, like getting into Fairlife and all that stuff. And I thought the response from you guys as CEO was amazing. And they like jumped on it. They're like, hey, here's what happened. Here's what we're doing to fix it. Here's kind of the people behind it, which like apparently was this huge, huge activist group. And I feel like they got on top of it better than any other activist breach that I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm sure they'd, they'd like to hear that. Um, I think it just goes back to <laughs> the type of culture that we have on our farms and the, and the type of ownership that, you know, our farmers within our supply chain have. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, we truly believe in, in, in doing what's right by our animals and having um, good culture on our farms and, you know, investing in our workers and things like that. And so, um, you know, when the wheels fall off or, or something happens, you know, we, we take ownership of that and we make sure that we drive change um, and, and make sure that, you know, we, we make the changes that we need to and that we own what happened. And, um, you know, so I wasn't with the company at the time. I can't speak at it, but I agree. I think, um, you know, the changes in the, in the direction they took was, was exactly right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, just I was buying Fairlife before that. And then after that whole thing happened, I'm like, I'm still going to buy Fairlife because the response has been great. And I know this is just a normal random attack from crazy activists. But yeah, um, you know, well, Marissa, I, oh, this has I, been I, super fun. If people or no, you're good. Go ahead. No, I think that just goes back to, um, you know, how important it is to be sharing what's happening on our farms and, and how we do things so that if things ever arise like that, you know, we already have that um, credibility, you know, and, and background with, with our, with our followers and our people and, and people that buy our brand. So I think it's extremely important and, um, it's encouraging to hear that, you know, you felt that way about it. Oh yeah. And it kind of goes back to what you're saying earlier. Um, the barn doors open, like the transparency, just being honest and open about it. I think that's huge now. And I've seen, I've heard a lot of farmers that are doing that. A lot of ranchers that are doing that. Uh, I talked to some beef ranchers from Alabama a few years ago and they were saying that they, they met some old school ranchers that were like, and eh, consumers don't need to know what's going on a farm. So I feel like this is a generational thing where younger farmers and ranchers and dairy people are like, no, like they're smart. They need to see what's going on. They're smart enough to, to, to see what's going on, do their own research and stuff like that. So I feel like it's been this whole kind of like generational shift. Yeah. And I think we're finally realizing, and at the end of the day, we're making a consumer product, right? we're not out here in our rural bubble anymore mm-hmm. and our consumers want to know what's happening on our farms and we have to provide that to them. Yeah. I like that. That's a very good point. That's good. Well, Marissa, this has been super fun. Finally getting to chat with you, all things, um, animal health, veal, cows, fair life. I honestly did not know that about fair life and that's super exciting. That's so cool. Congratulations on that new, that new position. Thank you. So if people want to follow you, you're on Instagram, you're your calf vet or your calf veal, right? So where can they go to follow you and see what you're doing? Yeah, on Instagram, I'm at calf vet. 
underscore. And then on Facebook, I'm just at calf vet deal. All right. Well, we'll link everything in the description. Marissa, thanks so much again. We'll have to talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Trevor. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to episode 110. Uh, We still have some shirts. We have some hats. If you want some, email me. You can go to our website, which is just thefarmtraveler.com, and you can click on our store tab on the top, and you will see all of our cool merch. We only have about, I'm looking at them right now, seven shirts left and four hats left, so you better hurry. Um, Of the four hats left, I think only one has been unclaimed, so you better hurry. Again, that's thefarmtraveler.com slash store, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Join Waypoint TV and LG channels in celebrating Great Outdoors Month, presented by Battery Tender. Tune in every Tuesday and Sunday in June, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern, channel 109 on your LG Smart TV. You can also watch Waypoint TV at lgchannels.com.